For another edition of the Other Kind Radio Talk Radio, welcome to episode fifty-nine. Fifty-nine. It's ten less than sixty-nine. And today is July twenty-seventh, two thousand and nineteen. Hope everybody had a good week. Welcome to the show. We're excited about today's show. We're excited about every show, but we're really excited about today's show. Because we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to both our hearts. The other kind of that radio. is cinema. But this particular cinematic feature plays a uh, extra, extra big part. Uh, the Other Kind Radio is a weekly podcast that looks at pop culture and says... Uh, what's up, Doc? My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. And if you're a returning kind listener, welcome back. Your support is appreciated, and we uh, love the fact that uh, you're listening, and keep on listening. First-time listeners are congratulated for finding us, uh, finding this podcast, this show, amongst the plethora of podcasts. I have put many beautiful piñatas in the storeroom, each of them filled with little surprises. Many piñatas? Oh, yes, many! Would you say I have a plethora of piñatas? A what? A plethora. Oh, yes. <laughs> you have a plethora. Jefe, what is a plethora? Why, guapo? Well, you told me I have a plethora. And I just would like to know if you know what a plethora is. I would not like to think that a person would tell someone he has a plethora and find out that that person has no idea what it means to have a plethora. Forgive me, El Wapo. I know that I, Jefe, do not have your superior intellect and education. But could it be that once again, you are angry at something else and are looking to take it out on me? As always, we encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe the show. By doing so, you are helping feed the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. And I say that... 100 percent uh 100 percent honestly and appreciative we've uh expanded now we're on uh iheart radio and a number of other uh, podcast uh captures or what they call pod catchers and um every time someone gets on there and likes us or subscribes us it really 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 helps uh kind of get the word out so uh thank you for all of you that are doing that Today, we're going to have uh, our usual housekeeping items. We're going to go through the top three movies, top three billboard uh, for this week. And uh, then we're going to spend uh, a lot of time talking about Quentin Tarantino's new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In order to do that, I need my, uh, I need my co-host. He is a, uh, he's really, really the good, good half of the show. So let's bring him on. He is a family generator, movie maker, guitar player, drum major, book author, dive bar boombox member, and founder, I believe, an all-around all around renaissance man, live from his studio somewhere near, but not in or located specifically around the town of Dallas. Please welcome Todd. Is Dallas a town or a city? That's a great question that I'm not prepared to answer. But thanks to the interweb, what is a town? And a town, Alexa. an urban area that has a name, defined boundaries, a local government, and then had generally larger than village, smaller than a city. So city is bigger than a town. A city is bigger Whatever. than a town. Whatever. We have now, that, I don't think this even touches pop culture, but as soon as you said town, I was like, huh. Never thought about it. And I don't have Alexa hooked up. And by the way, that sound you're hearing, that's people turning us off as we talk about towns and cities. <laughs> and, and scene. 
insane. thought this was where they talk about pop culture, not right. about the, the actual municipal buildings and whatnot. Welcome to Municipal Talk. That was a little bit of my angry Truman Capote impersonation. Oh, dude. nice. I don't need, who's Truman Capote? Oh, God. <laughs> Do we now have to go through the great authors of all time? Oh, was he he's a writer? What did he write? Give me, give me a book. Give me a Black Beauty. Taylor. In Cold Blood. In Cold Blood. Mm, that was good. It's actually considered to be the first true crime novel. He also wrote Breakfast at Tiffany's. Ah, yeah, the one with uh, what's her face in it, and a little bit of pop culture nerddom. You've seen or read To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Yes. The character of Dill is based on Truman Capote. He grew up with Harper Lee. Didn't he go interview some killers at some point? That's what In Cold Blood is about. He and the 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 Stark now that Starkweather would be the ones that Springsteen wrote Nebraska about. I can't remember the Clutter family. I think is what something like that. Two guys just go and they think they can find money in a, a safe somewhere, and they end up murdering an entire family. And Truman Capote famously went and interviewed them and became really good friends with one of them, and it's. Uh, so go see the actual Robert. Oh God, I forgot his last name. I even own that film, but uh, the, uh, the original in cold blood is a great film, very stark black and white. Then go watch uh, the Philip Seymour film where he played Truman Capote. And I'm telling you those two together, you're going to see some greatness. Then last of all, go read the book in cold blood. Very good book. There you go. I and mean, that's the, that's the show for the day. Yeah, Thank every, you. Everybody has their marching orders for next week. So go do that. Hey, we, we, uh, this, this past week we lost somebody too. I should have had that in the, in the pre notes. Uh, I'll just do a Google search. Who died this week? Oof, that's probably Betty White. What's that? Betty White. No, it was, um, bu- 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 Brad Pitt. No, he is alive and well. Uh, celebrity deaths. Um, uh, Oh, Rutger Hauer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that broke my heart. That's kind you of until it lasted so long it broke my heart. <laughs> um so yeah, Blade Runner actor Rutger Hauer, dead at 75. He he had a pretty pretty significant career in 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 Hollywood, didn't he? Yeah, without question. Yeah. I mean, you you look at the fact of how seminal his performance is in Blade Runner that goes on to impact Chris Nolan. Uh, who counts that amongst his favorite films so much so that he cast Rutger Hauer and Batman Begins simply so he could work with him. So, I mean, the guy has influenced and touched upon many things. And a lot of filmmakers really respected him. And he now, was a great actor. And now I feel like I have to put an asterisk on this and say, in no way does the other kind radio think that anybody else that passed away this week isn't worth mentioning. I just, I was had film in my head and I remember seeing that and was going to say it to you. So actually I would like to make an addendum to that. Everybody that passed away besides Rutger Howard second <laughs> on the list. Rutger is the most impactful death of this week. Todd's well, take on death. I was going to say, cause one of the founders of the Neville brothers passed this week as well. So who one of the founders of the Neville brothers, who see what um, I just did. He's second place. Well, his last, He's insignificant. His last name was Neville. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw that too, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know he was still alive." That's bad. Whenever you look, you're like, "Oh, I didn't know you're still with us to begin with." All right, um, I'm trying hard to. <laughs> I'm flustered, Jeff. Um, so, Death talk. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. And uh, my mother's celebrating her birthday this week, so happy birthday, mom! Happy birthday! I'm mom. sorry you had to follow the Rutger Hauer's Neville Brothers. Um, Ted, Ted, Todd rant. Oh, I'm really flustered. This is good. Hey, you know, on, on the rankings of birthdays this week, your mom is number one. Everybody else is secondary. <laughs> right. <laughs> I in no way mean to say that my mother's birthday is any way more important than any other birthday that's out there. We are, we, we, we as a society are pretty big on our birthdays, aren't we? Well, it's just it, no matter what, it's an award show. We love award shows on this thing, so we're going to start giving up birthday and death awards. Oh boy! All right. Well, with that, happy birthday, mom. Um, let's let's go through the top three, <laughs> three, threes. The top threes. We'll start calling it the top threes. The top threes for this week. We'll go for the first three. We're going to go through movies. And even though, and I'm, should I start going from three to one? I think I'm going to go from three to one. Three to one. Three to one. Three to one. Whoops. Approved. Okay, sorry. Todd can't hear now. Um, all right, so at number three, falling down a, just a wee bit that at about 42.5% is Spider-Man Far From Home. In second place, debuting 
in second place, one upon, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we're going to talk about today. And despite its horrible tomato, Rotten Tomatoes, or less than expected Rotten Tomatoes ratings, in first place, it's a Lion King. Have you seen it? Do you know somebody who's seen it? Are you going to go see The Lion King? No, no, and no. Really? No, you know, I have... I have said before the first of these live action reimaginings was the Cinderella film directed by Kenneth Branagh. I actually thought that film brought something new to it. At the end, Cinderella forgives the wicked stepmother. And it's, you know, it was a pretty powerful message, especially in this day and age where we all believe that we should just be able to Does she? bring the wrath down on it. Yeah. At the very end, the, the wicked stepmother says something and she says, I forgive you. And it was like, Oh my God. Wow. Really? What a powerful statement for today. You've changed it. From what I hear about Lion King, it falls into exactly what I've heard of every one of these other remakes where it's just note for note. Tim Burton's uh, Dumbo took a, a bashing Ooh. by the critics because they said he brought absolutely nothing to it. And there, were, besides the fact you could tell some of his whimsical choices, there was right. none of the true whimsy that Tim Burton would usually bring. Bill Burr on his podcast, uh, which is worth listening to if you're a fan of Bill Burr, uh, describes taking his daughter to Dumbo and realizing like he said when he sat down a lot of people were kind of like looking at him and everything and he quickly realized that uh uh he made a mistake because <laughs> really? I guess it, yeah I guess I guess it was a really really like like it was like oh and so he asked her he said do you want to leave and she said yeah and they left <laughs> oh the daughter even wanted to leave yeah she's uh I think she's like two or three so uh -huh. she's young she was scared by Dumbo I, I guess it was like you said it's Tim Burton you know he gave yeah. Dumbo Dumbo nipples. I, you know, if anything, I I didn't understand I giving that film to nipples. Tim Burton. And by the way, he didn't do the nipples. That was Joel Schumacher. But oh, I, I appreciate <laughs> you doing it. Um, but you know, to me, he should have been Sleeping Beauty because that has a very yes. ominous tone to it. Tim Burton would have yes. been a great choice for that. I thought that at the end of Cinderella, she said, "I could have been a contender." No, no. that was actually uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I saw Beauty and the Beast because my wife and daughter adore that. And I think oh, the, Emma Watson, the live action one. Yeah. And Emma Watson is very charming young lady. Uh, the guy that played Gaston, Luke Perry. He's great. I hated the movie. I mean, just the outside of one or two guest. moments where I was like, oh, look at that. It's sweet. And it was just like, Do our best to impress be our guest. It's the guest song. I like the guest song in there. Did Robert De Niro get cast as that all of a sudden? <laughs> It goes from be a guest to be a guest. Be a guest. Come on in. Oh, sit down. Grab some wood. You're hey. talking to me. Hey. 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 I know from musicals. I know that song, and I know um, eight thousand seven hundred fifty-four thousand minutes. <laughs> yeah, you don't know that one either. <laughs> What musical is that from? The that's one from, you just butchered. That's from the one that I was recently listening to your podcast. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, in a, one of the your favorite musicals, but you hated the film, and that's from Rent. Hey, good boy. Yeah, that movie sucks. <laughs> well, you know, there you go. All right, so um, Lion King, never going to see it, not going to see it. You are like the only person because everybody's like, oh, we're going to go see it. We got to see it. And I even was talking to Luke, the 11-year-old, mm -hmm. and he's like, no, I'm going to stick with the cartoon. He goes, the real lions don't really, don't do much. So, I think maybe if one day I'm home, I've got a bladder infection, I'm in a lot of pain, and it's on <laughs> HBO and it's free, and I want to see how good the CGI is. Because the one review that really was good said, right. wow, it's so photorealistic, you will believe these are real lions. That's about the extent of what I want to see. Then, just as you're about to hit the buy button, an ad for Airbud will pop up, and you're like, you know what? I want to watch Airbud again. That was good. Again, <laughs> you never watched Airbud? Come on! I never stop watching it. It is constantly on <laughs> in the background. I was gonna say there's a poster right behind you of Airbud. Actually, I, and you've got that lit up today. So, I'm kind listener. We're gonna we're gonna break real quick before we get into the top three songs, and we're gonna talk about Todd's in his office. And he's got this beautiful case with all kinds of stuff on it. There's some Star Wars stuff. I see a dragon. Is that Simon and Garfunkel up there? Is that an album? That is. That was an album that was given to me. And I, I so I collect pop memorabilia, pop culture memorabilia. So I, the, there is no Airbud poster up here. <laughs> um, you've got up top 
Is you that, got like the, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, let me, okay. So then you got some Simpson figures. I see that. Yep. Who, who's the dude kissing the girl? Is that from gone? Is that a plate from gone from the wind? Yeah, that's, I allow my wife to have this stuff over here as her stuff. She loves gone <laughs> with the wind. So she gets that, she gets two shells. And then I see, is that Princess Leia sitting at a desk to your, on, on the way back side? She's like in front of like what looks like be a large kitchen or something. Princess Leia? It's no. the left third shelf down. There's somebody sit, yeah, sitting at a table with a Darth Vader that's behind actually, him. Um, Batman and the Joker from the Dark oh. Knight. Those are, that's made by a, a company who made, oh, Sideshow Collectibles or something like that, where they make very photo, I mean, like they're eerily look like the real people. That's cool. Yeah, it but I, got, looks I like, mean, Jaws memorabilia, all kinds of stuff. Well, the funny, uh, is, the funny is thing right is, going, going back to that, is it the reason why it looks like Princess Leia is because whatever it is, it's a little blue thing that's next to it. That looks like the Death Star through the camera, through our high-def camera operation here. So I thought maybe it was like Vader and Leia, this is a reveal that Leia actually decided to side with the dark side and gave Darth Vader what he needed to know where Alderaan was so he could blow it up. So yeah, none of that, <laughs> but I do, you know, Very one impressive. of these days, Jeff, I will set up so that you yeah. can actually see it because the shelves that way mm-hmm. are nothing but star Wars garbage. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. And behind me, I have a green screen and what would look like a bunch of monitors. Do you want to walk the kind listener through my nerddom? So behind Jeff, we have at least one, two, three, four, about five, six with with color bars, which is <laughs> what those of us in the business actually set up monitors that all look the same. We've got a lot of different look like CGI type things where they're going to drop in some lower thirds. In other words, he's a nerd. Yeah, I got a nerd. But what I didn't tell Jeff is actually this is all a chroma screen behind me. No, this is real either. That's impressive. It is, isn't it? It makes me look really cool. By the way, did you notice this? I did notice your light, and I did notice that your mic uh, is upside down and therefore reads yeah. upside down. Yeah, whatever. I'm not <laughs> going to flip the mic. But, yeah, I, I I was able to secure a actual studio light. That's and cool. That's, yeah, it's pretty You know, cool. it's fun. It's turn those on, and then you can cook some toast and eggs and stuff on them. You know, I really did think about trying to find a, a replacement bulb that would be, like, low wattage so I didn't burn yeah. the back of my neck. That's the great thing about LED now is it used to take when we finish a show, you had to turn all the lights off and then you had to wait 20 minutes before you could get them down because they were all burning hot with LED. These burn on LED now? Hot pocket. Yeah, they've got LEDs that, uh, oh, that are that bright. That. Yeah. yeah, that's actually, I might look for an LED replacement bulb actually, for that then. It's actually what the sun is. The sun's just a big LED bulb, light bulb. And that is the end of today's show. All right. You've learned something you never knew you'd learn. Let's get into the Billboard Top 100. Not a lot of changes, folks. Our top two are the same. And to walk us through, let's go to Tired Head Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Number three is where we're going to begin. And it comes in with a bullet. I don't care by Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber. When I'm with my baby. Is that the hook? I haven't heard the name of the song, so I don't think so. Okay, so... The great thing about that song is it's called exactly the way I feel. I don't care. <laughs> so what is that 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 beat? That Is it like offbeat? Is it called on the upbeat? Is it try... I mean, what... That's a, it's a little bit of a Calypso beat. Calypso, okay. But they, they probably don't call it that. They're just playing offbeat because Justin Bieber does play drums, and I'm sure he was the one that did that. Oh. Yeah, I don't care. Okay, all right. So that's that's thir- third place on the Billboard Top 100. The top two songs are the same from the previous weeks. In second place, we've got Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. Very good. Just always so puff guy. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type. Okay, so yeah, that song sounds the same as it did the previous previous three weeks or two weeks. And then a number one, Old Town Radio, Lost Nass Axe featuring... Old Town Road. Oh, what did I say? Not radio. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, we are batting a thousand on this show. 
Whoa, good lord, bladder. He said mm. he said tractor mm. bladder, and I cheated on my my baby. Wow. I, I and they say when you get old, bladder? you don't do it. And he says it right there in the video. Listen, when he gets into it. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Riding on a tractor, lean all in my blood. Cheated on my baby. You can go and ask her. You can go and ask her. <laughs> I, I have no idea what was just going like on. Like nobody, like like if I came to you and I said, hey. Todd, I've cheated on my baby. You would probably say, well, that was pretty stupid, right? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't say something that would require me to say, no, 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 you can go and ask her. Because that's what he just said. He said, I cheated on my baby. You can go and ask her. I can't get past the... <laughs> mm. Mm. Oh God! Mm. I think we have... I think I'm the only one listening to the show now. So the rest of the show is dedicated to me. Um, so we're going to talk about Legos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, let's get back on track here. That was your top yes. three movies, your top three billboard. And, um, now we're going to talk about, uh, I guess we're going to talk about the movie. Uh, Todd and I did talk in pre-production a little bit about this. A couple things you need to know. One, we're going to discuss the movie, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood Two, we're going to do our best to avoid spoilers because I guess there are some spoilers that we could release on, but we'll try our best not to. But it's always safe, folks. It's always safe. If you haven't seen the movie yet, you might want to hit pause. Because we made something like, Brad Pitt performance was amazing. And you're like, oh, I didn't know Brad Pitt was in the movie. It sucks. The other kind radio spoiled it. So uh, listen at your own risk. Um We'll do our best to try and not give away everything, but we want to talk about it because it is the latest and greatest and hottest thing that uh, dropped this past week. So without further ado, let's get into Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, with the tale of the tape. Here is Todd. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's film that tells the story of a faded television actor and his stunt double who strived to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. For those that don't know what the reference to the golden age is, the golden age would have still been the star system, the idea that it could turn these things through, that actors were almost owned by the studios, etc. This changed during the 70s when the, the likes of Martin Scorsese Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Brian De Palma, all these greats that most of us have grown up going, wow, they're just great filmmakers. They were the counterculture of a sort in Hollywood. The characters that exist in this film exist in a time that's gone by, but they also see the new age coming in. So that puts us exactly where it is. Now, for a fun bit here, uh, Tarantino bases to an extent, the characters of Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, uh, DiCaprio's character is a bit of a take on both Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood. And mm. the Brad Pitt character is based, everyone, there are a few things you can do, but mostly it is the man Hal Needham, who is has passed away in 2013, but he was a stunt person and doubled for Burt Reynolds. He's the stuntman that went on to direct Smokey and the Bandit, uh, Cannonball Run and Cannonball Run, Run 2. So he actually evolved his career, but he was trying to say these kind of things that here are these people that were caught in that era. So that's kind of what the film is, is you're caught in a place. Was that oh, I, I think I stumped Jeff. I'm, do, I see the wheels turning. Do we want to? Do we want to tell him like who like who the cinematographer was? Or anything? We can do that if you'd like to. Let's give him. Let's give him a little bit. Um, just because you you do such a great job of just kind of tying all that in. Um. So as Jeff said, it's Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. Quentin Tarantino writes his own material. He always directs. Um, for when, cinematography, he had Robert Richardson, which. I will say flat out, let's let's be right up front. The cinematography of it is beautiful. He's worked with Richardson before on things like Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards. Uh, Richardson also did what I think is one of those beautiful cinematography jobs and Scorsese's Hugo, which came out in 2011. 
you're looking at the fact that uh, Tarantino is one of those people that works with the same people over and over. So you could go down a litany of basically who's who in this, and you're going to find his editor, Fred Raskin. You're going to find things like that. So there's no surprises when it comes to that. In fact, even the actors, many of the actors, he will cast again and again and again and again. So you're going to see a lot of these faces. There are a lot of people. Tarantino has the reputation of actors wanting to work with him. So you will get Lena Dunham is in this and she's in it for a blink and you'll miss it kind of moment. Yeah. But she's there because she wants to be involved in a Tarantino project. I mean, yeah, just scratching the surface there. The fact that, that you know, of course, you got Brad Pitt, you got Leonardo DiCaprio, you've got Dakota Fanning, who's almost unrecognizable that's in it, mm-hmm. Al Pacino, uh, Harley Quinn, Smith, and um, I'm going to talk to you about Luke Perry in a minute. But the other. We got Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's Kurt worked with him before. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. And then it's also got the actress that plays. And Death Proof plays the Australian um, stunt person, and he she's always been in a couple of his films as well. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her name. I know it's awful, but she's also got that uh, unmistakable um, uh, Australian accent and everything, and she's got a little part in here. So, well, you've also got you know that's a couple of other things. Let's make sure we mention. Interesting, if you want to tie it into the current season of Stranger yeah. Things, Maya Hawk the daughter of Ethan Hawke and yes. Emma Thurman, who Quentin has worked with Uma before. She has a small role in it. Margot Robbie, who easily holds the candle of most surprising person yes. to be a fantastic actor, because usually when we see things in Hollywood, somebody that is so unusually beautiful as Margot Robbie is, yeah. most people will be dismissive. Ah, She doesn't have the chops. If you go watch I, Tanya, and you go watch her work in this, even though her work in this is to an extent, fairly minimal. She doesn't have a ton to do, but she has some ability, you know, to bring things to the screen that really surprise. And the good thing is with her is every time I'm there, I'm in, I mean, she's there. I'm intrigued. All right. So the thing I think we should do to avoid too much breaking down and, and diving in too much for the kind listeners, let's just talk about maybe like two or three things that we noticed and really, uh, you know, took away from this. And I know I'm springing that on you live, but I'll go first with one of mine so you can have some time to think of yours. First of all, I just want to note that I'm on the IMDb page and I am not seeing a headshot and credit for the dog uh, that's in it. And there's it'll th- be there eventually. This thing. Th- th- what I, okay. So first of all, <clears throat> this is Quentin Tarantino. Uh, that is that is a hundred year old bottle that's sat on a shelf, and you you take you take a sip. It has all of the hints of Tarantino that over the and, and I saw in an interview he's been he's been directing for thirty years, and boy, this is this is the, all the good bits. This is all the good bits. Um, I mean, because even with Django uh, at the end there, it was just a huge bloodbath, and for me, it pulled me out of it. It was a little too much for me. And then even uh, on his next film which was what there was Django. Oh, the hateful eight <clears throat> that gets pretty, pretty, uh, pretty vile at the end of what's well. And for me, I, and I have gone back and watched those films and I, and I do love language boy, his, his, his dialogue in his film are some of the best, um, is there that coach ride in the hateful eight is one of the best written. Uh, one of my favorite, the pacing and just the, the dialogue is really good. So you've got this in there as well, but then a hateful eight at the end, everything all everything goes to everything goes to shit, and then you know you just kind of leave the theater like well i felt like i was watching like a really good play and then it just you know let's just shoot everybody and puke and blood everywhere um not to say there's not a little bit of that in this movie but my favorite moment that i was on the edge of the seat and really was was just like wow this is really great was the scene with Brad Pitt when he's feeding the dog. The sound I, I agree with that. Yeah. The sound, the editing, the pace. It's a guy and a dog. It's a guy and a dog in a trailer. It's a guy and a dog in a trailer. And the scene is he's feeding his dog. This gives me hope in some of the ideas and and projects that that I hope to be a part of at some point in my life. In that for, for for me, a lot of it is just overthinking, telling a story. 
and you talk about the most basic thing that's happening. A guy comes home from work. He feeds his dog. Go. And he does it in a manner that it's burned into my, my, my memory now, and I can't wait to see it again. So I think that you're absolutely right. I think those there are two scenes with basically Pitt and the dog. And it, now the dog's in it more than that, but it were two yeah. scenes dedicated to that. And I, that first scene, I sat there and I thought, this is how you do characterization. This tells yeah. me everything in the world that I need to know about the Brad Pitt character. Yeah. Now, yes. many things that you touched on of how Tarantino will take a something and you think you're watching something and something else happens comes to why I don't like this movie. <gasps> okay. All right. Now, I now I this may be that I watch it in 10 years and go, okay, there, now I'm okay. Because I do think I stand in a very weird place about Tarantino. I'm not a huge fan. Sure. I, I, I like him and I respect the crap out of him. But... You know, it's gotten to the point to me where he's a bit in Night Shyamalan, where it's okay. When is Quentin gonna flip and go nuts with the violence? I think that he's had a few mm. moments where, look, Kill Bill was an ode to violence all the way through, and so I think yeah. the tone of it it doesn't become when is it gonna go insane. Um, I thought for the longest time that I watched this film, I thought, oh my god, I'm seeing the maturity emerge of Quentin Tarantino. I, I would not say he's an immature filmmaker, but I was seeing, you know, a, a beautiful story. You ask for one of my moments. I, the thing that resonated with me because I love the spaghetti Westerns of Sergio Leone, yes. the Clint Eastwood went on to make, and they touch on the character of DiCaprio going a bit into that. Um, and I forget the name of the director they do use who was, a, I wouldn't say a secondary Sergio Leone is considered the king of the spaghetti Westerns, but the man they choose is or excuse me, was a director of Spaghetti Westerns as well. So there's some truth to it. I love that era because, you know, people like Clint Eastwood was forgetting, forgotten because he was in, was it Rawhide that he was in on TV? Yeah. And he was forgotten and he went over to reinvent himself. And look who Clint Eastwood is today. Now Clint Eastwood is that one of those absolute stalwart directors that you turn to that he knows how to do it. I, I thought, wow, you're telling, you're telling in this how, Somebody like Eastwood felt probably felt the end of his career because he's going to Italy to make really crappy, you know, yeah. budgeted films that yeah. end up being classics. So I loved that. That's that's where Tarantino owns the understanding of pop culture and how it plays into things. Where I came away from it that I was like, not again, is that there's a trigger for violence in this. Yeah. And it's just like I, I thought it was a bad choice. I, yeah. Now, I also understand why he made that choice, and I'm not going to say anything about it. Right. It was just not what I hoped he was going to do. And that is, that's the weird thing about art. If you put on an album by your favorite singer, and you're, you're thinking, man, I'm going to say Springsteen. I, man, I hope he makes another Born to Run. And he comes out with Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is dark. And you're like, well, wait, hey, where are the triumphant happy songs about getting out of town? Now you're right. telling me how dark it is and I'm never going to leave. You, you, you cannot bring your conceptions of what an artist needs to do to a thing. And I think I did that with Quentin Tarantino on this. So again, I'm hoping for some separation. I'm not ready to see it now because I, uh. I would walk in and again go, there it is. I will also tell you this, Jeff, you often ask about our moment going into the theater. Yeah. I, I, Jeff knows we were originally going to produce, uh, I'm sorry, we were going to push our production of today's episode later in the day so I could go see it this morning, but I had some time come up. I went at 1045. Right. By the time this Ugh. movie was over, I got home at two. Ugh. I should not have seen this movie that late. Ugh. Yeah. So I may have had some things along with it that put me there. Right. However, it, I, I have to say this this era of Hollywood is probably my favorite era. I grew up just after this era hit. Right. These people, Sharon Tate, Roman Polanski, all these people are very real to me. Mm -hmm. The the Charles Manson murders, you know, I I I am very interested in those from that my father read it and read parts of it to me when I was probably too young and scared the crap out of me mm -hmm. to the years later, I worked with Vincent Bugliosi, who was the uh, prosecutor against Charles Manson. Oh, so wow. it's just like, I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And for this to happen, I just was not the right person for it. But there it is. Well, I appreciate your your commitment and sacrifice to the show for going to see it. And there is nothing worse than going to see a movie 
uh, in a bad in a bad moment. I actually went to a nine a.m. showing and was oh. very impressed with the variety of people um, that are uh, that were there in the theater that were uh, participating. There was all kinds of different uh, ethnic backgrounds, all kinds of different ages, and uh, I, I was impressed by that. Um, there was also an older couple where the woman spoke at, you know, maybe 30 decibels and the old guy <laughs> was stuck at like 98 <laughs> for everything. So that was kind of comical to hear him, you know, react to the movie in, in this uh, one particular um, uh, decibel level that, that added, I think, a little color to it. Um, that is interesting. That is interesting because, you know, and again, for me to watch this film... But with a little more knowledge of 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 film, right? Jeff's getting his little mm-hmm. his little faux uh, education in in film. Um, the other thing, there were a couple of moments that made me think of you and what your reaction would be. And for me, when they're filming this one of the spaghetti westerns, there's a rather long shot that uh, basically establishes uh, the character walking into the center of town, but it's done at a level at which you're seeing all the rungs in the railing go by. And I really like that. I thought that was really interesting way to present. It immediately set the tone. You had the railings going by at a rather rapid pace. The person that was walking was doing so at a rather slow pace and so it really established kind of what was going on. Like you wanted it to get to the end of the railing so you could get a better idea of what was going on around the surroundings. But it was such a, to me, I thought a really well thought out shot. Um, and I was, I was thinking like, Ooh, I wonder if Todd's going to like that shot when he sees it. Yeah. You know, I think that the thing that you automatically see with Tarantino is his absolute knowledge of film. The dude knows film like few out there do he he can reference things i i think there are times even in some of the shots early on when we're trying to depict the era that sharon tate was a part of coming up in in that part of hollywood and and the uh shots of the boulevard as she's there that were reminiscent of shots of the safer films of that era so yeah i i did notice that and i think that throughout you're going to notice tarantino just he the man knows Oh, we're now doing a spaghetti Western. This is what we need to do. The rungs here will create tension against this because it'll be counter to the speed of this. And he's thinking those things and he's, he's a master when it comes to that. He truly is. So the second note that I made of things I noticed, uh, that make it a Tarantino movie is, and I'm not in, I into this, but it's always in there is feet, feet, more and more feet, feet everywhere. Shots of feet, feet up on chairs when she's, uh, when Tate's in the movie theater watching that, uh, there's a shot, where uh, any shot that uh, where a woman's laying in bed sleeping or doing whatever always starts at the feet, and he's he's done that. He did it with um, Kill Bill. He for whatever was in love with what's her face's feet. Um, I can't think of her name right now. Uma Thurman. Emma, Uma Thurman's feet, and just you know always has that in it. So a lot of shots of feet in the film. Um, the only one that that really would that looked looked planted was when um, Tate goes in to watch one of her films, and she's in the theater watching it, and it cuts to a scene where she has her feet propped up on the back of the seat in front of her, which uh, I believe is a huge no no when it comes to. And it went against what I thought she was trying to do, which is in the movie she was going into it to kind of just secretly watch and eavesdrop as other people were you know, reacting to her performance on it. And I don't think she would want to draw attention to herself by sticking her feet up uh, on the chair. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I've never noticed the feet thing. Now you're going to make me want to go back and watch a few Tarantino films just to, to look for the feet. Yeah. He does a couple things in kill bill where it'll be an establishing shot where you'll see her feet up and then the camera will rotate around and we'll then see that it's Uma Thurman and then the story hmm. goes on, but it's almost a transition for him. Speaking of transitions, it was another moment in the film that really made me um, get excited, which is uh, when they're filming the Spaghetti Western and it's the scene between uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and I'm not, I can't remember. I think it's, I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, Timothy uh, Olymphant, 
I don't know how to say his last name. Oliphant. Oliphant. Oh, well, there you go. Just call us and we'll uh, get you some Starbucks uh, credits or something. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think he needs that. So he plays, Timothy plays the younger actor who's kind of coming in as Leonardo's going out. So that tension's already established. But they're shooting this scene. And and, um, one of the things that I was really impressed with that I don't know if it was written in or something that Leonardo DiCaprio came up with is the character Rick Dalton has a real problem. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a real problem. Let me let me back that. Uh, Rick Dalton is not a very well-spoken person. He stutters, and you can tell that he takes some time to try to formulate what he's going to say. I don't know if that's supposed to be the echo of him and his acting career deteriorating. I don't know if, if it's uh, a a a um, uh, one of the effects of his uh, mentioned alcoholism, or if it's just a character trait, or showing that he, what he's on screen and, and filming, he's obviously very well-spoken because of lines. But getting back to what I was going to say, there was the scene where they were sitting at the table, and it starts out, and he's talking about, you know, I hear you've been pushing around this family and everything, and they have money and everything, and it's a, it's a shot that is, Tarantino does so many, does it in uh, Reservoir Dogs, and then um, he also does it in uh, Death Proof, where the camera's kind of going around the table. Well, in the film, we're watching a film that's filming, Caprio forgets his line. And so he says line, and they tell him, and they tell him to reset, and the camera goes back into its original position and then resumes where it originally was when it shot. I thought that was really cool. That was very cool. Because it would have been just, you know, very easy just to just, film it like you normally would but it not only reset the scene but you felt like you were behind the camera basically i thought that was a smart thing because how many times could you make a movie about making movies and you're going to show a cam you're going to take your camera and show a camera in front of it reset and not right. make the camera the practical element right he makes brilliant choices like that time and time again i actually think one of his brilliant choices in this leads to my second point about the tarantino calling cards and it's the lack of soundtrack elements that are in this film comparatively to so many of his others when you watch a tarantino film the constant reference to music and things yeah. like that whether that be the use of uh, the marsoni uh, type soundtrack elements in django or things like that that are referenced to others this film is relatively quiet when it comes to film now to music now you will see that they're occasionally listening to records of paul revere and the raiders and whatnot but it's not that's a practical element as opposed to interjecting i want to push this sound to evoke this time and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that but he uses it so much that i kept being surprised time and time again like in the scenes with brad pitt driving that yes. there was by and large no soundtrack now that also brings something i do want to to bring out i i another element of that is his use of a large ensemble cast i really want to point out one young lady in this her name is margaret qualley she plays Pussycat, who has numerous interactions with Brad Pitt flirting on the streets. She is the daughter of the actress Andy McDowell. And I've seen her before in the HBO show The Leftovers. She was also in the Fosse Verdon uh, mm. FX miniseries that I talked about. She mm-hmm. played, um, uh, oh my God, um, Anne Reinking. And she is a former ballet dancer. So the funny thing was, is it's funny to me you mentioned feet, Jeff, mm-hmm. because she has her feet in one shot. Oh, yeah. went, oh my God, she does have dancer's feet, the type feet that almost mm-hmm. look malformed because they put so much stress on them. But that young lady, I, I, I everything I've ever seen her in, I'm impressed every time. And I think she brings such a joy and sweetness to many parts of it that I'm not saying she has a character turn, but we see another oh, yeah. layer of that onion oh, yeah. at one point where you're like, whoa. And now I know she's with a very capable director that will help her get there and knows exactly what she needs to do. But I thought she was outstanding yeah. in a very simple, small, understated role. I thought she was just fantastic. That use of sound made me think of the scene where Brad Pitt goes into the house to see his old buddy. The television show that's on has this ominous kind of, you know, late 60s early 70s sound and it follows him and creates that tension i thought that was clever um 
and you know and and, and i'm i'm i am a bit shocked to hear that that this wasn't something that blew you away because i i walked out and immediately wanted to watch it again um but i like this i like this dialogue because it's it's giving me some more insight as far as that because one of the things and the, the third thing for me to bring up that i really liked about the film was it did what I like films to do for me. And that is take me on a journey and, and, and bring me in and let me suspend my life for the, you know, the time that, that, that I'm in there watching the film. Um, even, even the end, which has the Tarantino kind of classic end, um, to me was a little more bearable. Uh, I did have to shield my eyes a couple times. I'm not afraid to say, um, but, the um what i really liked is i felt like we were on a tour we were on a tour of hollywood that like you said the end of the golden era i got to see all kinds i'm sure of of buildings that were famous that i've never ever heard about or would know what the reference was to we at one part get to go to the playboy mansion and see what that was like so in its in its own i think it's tarantino and kind of like i said a a a aged more mature version of pulp fiction in that that it's a lot of little stories that he tells and i think what he does in the way that he presents though makes it makes it uh into a very enjoyable and it's a rather long movie i think it's a little over three hours um taking you through those elements and for someone that that that's, was born after that and did not really get into to, to film or, or, or any of the stuff that a lot of the time is spent looking at in this film, I still was very intrigued and enjoyed it very much and think that this, this his gift of, of gab and dialogue writing is just something that really adds so much to the, um, to, to, to the flow and, and, like I said, the energy and the pacing of it. Because even in the scenes where we have our actors acting by themselves, Brad Pitt feeding his dog, DiCaprio having a bit of a breakdown, I still thought that it, it was believable and, and very well done. And in some interviews, uh, one of the interviews I watched with the actors, they, the interviewer asked him if they've ever had moments where they, you know, freak, freak out in their trailer because they can't get their lines and everything, and they, they all said yes. Did you notice the breaking of the fourth wall with the mirror and with DiCaprio in his trailer? I can't re- immediately recall it. He looks, he's talking to himself in the mirror, but mm-hmm. the way the camera is set up, he's looking right at the camera hmm. and breaking that fourth wall. And he's saying like, you know, Hey, I got to get myself together, blah, 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 blah. And I thought that was a neat nod as well. Uh, something that was a uni- unique way of of presenting something that we've all seen, you know, a bunch of times, which is actors t- talking to themselves in mirrors, trying to get themselves psyched up for whatever they need to do. I think that the thing I find myself feeling with Tarantino, and I'm going to go back to comments you made earlier. I find that Tarantino, to an extent, and I, there are going to people be people that want to eviscerate me for this, but you know, there'll be the same people that'll tell me that Springsteen's not great, and I'll eviscerate them. <laughs> I think that Tarantino can be a bit one note. I think that one note is brilliant. Mm. I think that it is so repetitive. Yes, he is a master at dialogue and interesting, funny stuff. I think that exactly what you said about Hateful Eight was so true. The stuff within the the carriage when they're riding along is brilliantly written and i actually the funny thing is the overture to the violence and hate flight i really loved it i walked yeah. out of that going oh my god i love that movie 10 times more unexpected wow what i find with him is that i almost groan at times because he he knows storytelling like i've said and there are ideas of if you show it at this at some point in the film, you're going to need to use it by the end of it. And that's all I'm going to uh, say to that. There are gotcha. elements that when I saw it, I thought, please don't use it. Please don't use it. And he used it. Uh, and I'm like, you know, what I wish. And, you know, we could battle about somebody like P.T. Anderson, who I know you didn't like his last film, the one about the uh, designer. And why I'm going blank on it. The guy that directed Boogie Nights and whatnot. And he made the Daniel Day-Lewis film. Oh, I forget. Oh, God. Yeah. The one where the couples like poison themselves and fall in love. I think it's called boring. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I've still never gotten to see that. But what what I at least appreciate about somebody like P.T. Anderson is that he is constantly choosing new projects that, yes, you can tell the aesthetic of the same directors there. But Boogie Nights is nothing like that film. Right. 
And I just find that Tarantino, oh, here's another one that you can put funny, big scores and and violence in. And I'm just, I, I get a little bored with it. Got it. And that's why I thought when, when I saw this, I thought, oh, oh, here comes the maturity because I thought, mm. I thought he was trying to say something all the way through about how we, we want to hold on to the past because we're afraid of it, but holding on to the past will kill you. And the irony is that going into the future can kill you too. Mm. And so I thought, I thought he set that film up and to me, he betrayed me in the final few minutes. Ah, the film we're, uh, that you were referencing is phantom thread. Thank you. I hate uh, it when I just can't think of something, but yeah, phantom thread, which uh, Look, a lot of people don't know is a prequel to phantom mentis. Men- Mentis, oh, maybe Manus. that's the problem. Yeah. I hated Phantom Menace too. Um, you know, I'm not saying that every director like P.T. Anderson makes a perfect film. Right. What I'm saying is that they do something new and interesting. They change and they evolve. And again, their aesthetic, uh, their aesthetic is there. I just, it's just like M. Night Shyamalan. I think that he makes essentially the same film every time. And right. that's why his, the joke is with him, what's the twist ending? Well, the twist endings are not surprising if you know a twist ending's coming. Right, right. right. I got you. Know, gotcha. Tw- Twilight Zone was able to pull that off because it's a 30-minute show, but when I'm investing two hours in it, it's like, eh. So I can I look you. at this movie and go, wow, I really respect seven-eighths of it. That that final eighth is enough to make me go, ooh, <laughs> why did you put hot sauce on the end of a piece right. of ice cream, you know? All right. I got you. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, and, and I love your feedback. I, I, I could have made a million-dollar bet that I thought you were going to enjoy it. And so to hear this is um, is very interesting. Uh one thing I wanted to bring up, and this is I'm being completely honest, um, I know that Luke Perry was in it, but I don't recall ever seeing him. And I'm looking at the name of his character. He's uh, on a horse at one point. I'm trying to remember the uh, scene. And he comes in, he has like a little hat that's pushed up on one side. It's funny you mention him because one of the cool things, if you know this era of Hollywood, is how many times Tarantino puts real people in there. You know, the, the trailer showed us the stuff with Bruce Lee yeah. being in it. So we get Bruce Lee. Yeah. Well, Timothy Oliphant's character, James Stacy, was a real person as well. And I didn't know this until the next day. I was kind of like wanting to read a little bit so I could maybe, <laughs> you know, get my mind to quit going, what? In the final shot we get of Timothy Oliphant's character is riding off on a motorcycle towards the camera. The reason that's relevant is that that man he and his girlfriend were riding a motorcycle. She was killed. He lost two limbs in that wreck. Oh. And so there's Tarantino simply going, every one of us has a fate. And that's where I thought again, oh, he's saying if you just become this, that's what will happen right. to you. So I, I I, find that incredibly interesting. He'll pepper in real little notes like that. Yeah. So, and of course, the great Bruce Dern is in it. He, he has a great little part in it. But I'll have to go back and look because I thought Luke Perry was tied to more when they go out to the ranch. And that's not. That actor that played Tex uh, is Austin Butler. And that kid's great. Yeah, he does a great job. So I'll have to look a little bit better for, and it must, was it a pretty short scene that he was in? Yeah, it, a lot of these are short. You know, okay. I think that Damian Lewis, who is a fantastic actor who was in Band of Brothers, he's on that uh, home front or whatever that's on Showtime. He plays Steve McQueen and he's in it for yeah. five minutes. But man, I was like, oh my God, he looks like Steve yeah. McQueen. And oh my God, he's nailing this part. Yeah. You've got Michael Madsen, a regular with with Tarantino, who has a sneeze and you'll miss it part. Yep. It's when you watch Tarantino, you're going to see this. And and you now know that going forward, people like Margot Robbie, even though he says he's only making 10 films and then he's retiring from movie making. So yeah. he may throw all of them. We may be watching the longest film in history as far as cameos <laughs> go in the next film. <laughs> All right, so let's let's go to something that uh, I read that I bookmarked uh, that was going to be part of headlines, but since it has to do with the movie, uh, something I thought was interesting. Uh, There's an article on uh, The Hollywood Reporter, and uh, I'll just read you the kind of the headline here. It says, Quentin Tarantino scored a rare ownership deal with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. By acquiring the copyright to his latest release, the filmmaker joins rarefied group of Helmers at that includes George Lucas and Mel Gibson. So basically the, the, the kind of the just skimming the article when the movie was being pitched, it came down to Warner brothers and Sony. And basically I'm sure Tarantino went in with his lists of, of you got us. And you know, that include final cut, um, the budget of $95 million. And then it came down to copyright control of the movie and only Sony 
was willing to do that. Now, I know you can explain to my to myself and the kind listener why that's considered a win, why that is such a big deal for Tarantino in this uh, ninth film of his. I think that the easiest way to explain it is something that in pre-pro I, I tossed to Jeff that you, you've infamously heard of the Beatles not owning their own songs, Michael Jackson not owning the entirety of his catalog, Prince, you know, and the, the list goes on and on. People will sign contracts so that they can then be given the means to get their artistic elements out into the public. Film is just like that. When you make a movie, you do not own that movie. Now, famously, George Lucas was amongst the first to ever go, yeah, I do. And, you know, George goes on some, he's so smart that he's making a little science fiction film called Star Wars. Nobody says anybody wants it. He wants to make toys off of it. He, he tells them, I own the film. I own the rights to the toys, etc." So much so that he owns the rights. Now the toys make a ton of money. He actually finances Empire Strikes Back off of the profits of toys. Oh. So Tarantino's looking at owning this film. He wants, he wants to own his properties. You look at a director like Tarantino, he absolutely gets final cut, meaning that he gets to say, this is the movie that's released. Right. Studios will notoriously get in the way and you're dealing with people that don't know film getting in and chopping up films nine times out of 10. When they do that, it's a disaster. Look at justice league that came out. Waterworld. Waterworld. The list goes on and on. Uh, Underwater world. If you ever see Alan Smithy on there, that's a, uh, the name that the directors give America inserts when a director's actually removed their name from a film because oh. their film got so chopped up. David Lynch's Dune eventually, after he had his version in the studios, got recut by the studios for release on video, and now it says Alan Smithy on it. So, um, and speaking of which, they're rebooting that. That just got approved. I think the, the budgeting got approved. They're going to reboot Dune, which I hear is, I've never read the book, but I hear it's fantastic. It, I love the book. Denny Villeneuve is uh, the guy that made the recent Blade Runner. Um, also made, um, oh God, I'm not prepared for this, but the film about the aliens that came and almost spoke in ink clouds, like kind of thing. Oh, uh, Arrival. Arrival. Yeah, that was a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great director. Fantastic. He's, this is his film and he, they are already shooting it. And man, I cannot wait to see it. But Back to the point of oh, Tarantino. Sorry. He wants to own his films now. I looked up the deal and it says sources say Quentin Tarantino's deal for once upon a time gives him full ownership of the underlying copyright after 30 years and a complex schedule that shifts ownership from studio to filmmaker over that period. So he doesn't immediately own it mm. during initial distribution. Uh, several sources say the timetable is shorter to 20 years with one saying it's only 10. Mm. So who knows? Who cares? He still gets it. And that's you're pretty powerful when you can come and say, I own this movie. Right. So it's a huge, huge deal. Now, I think that, that you look at the list, and this has a list of the others that have done this, George Lucas, Mel Gibson, Peter Jackson, and Richard Linklater. Those, outside of Linklater, Linklater is a respected director, but he's not on the level of the other three. I think that you start seeing now you got Tarantino in this. Spielberg will join it. You will see more and more big directors get in and say, I own my material. There's a big name on there that we, we don't hear. And that's Mr. Orson Welles. He got final cut, but he didn't get copyright for his. Uh, no, sit, he still sits in the, uh, the Wells. The Wells uh, estate still does not own his material. And in fact, you really you want to talk about something interesting to talk about sometime. That man often would sell the rights to his films to try and get the money to go finish another movie. Right. It's it's crazy. That's the movie I think. If I ever if I ever reshoot a movie or do a reboot, mm -hmm. I'm gonna reboot Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane. And Rosebud is gonna be a like a Rosebud will be a, a Pez dispenser and instead of newspapers it'll be podcasts. <laughs> Todd Todd is literally yawning right now. No, this is do you see me looking at you right now? This is hateful look. This is my hateful eight right here. Right to you. Don't touch that movie. All right. So you're 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 doing Dune. Do you bring Sting back? I mean, his performance in the original one was so good. I, you, don't get me started on Sting, a man who's going down the road and is just turning out garbage right now. No, you do not bring him back so he can mug to the camera. All right, I think we've I think we've given our full opinion on on uh, Once Upon a Time in in, in Hollywood. Uh, I think it's pretty clear. I'm a uh, I'm pretty big. I would say, ooh, look, so I turned that down so it didn't hurt ears. I say ding. I say I can't wait to see it again. I've told family and, and friends, hey, if you're going to go see it, I want to go see it because I feel like 
that uh, my limited uh, film brain only picked up so so many things. So I say definitely go check it out. My prediction, and we'll get Todd's final word here in a second, but I would really be interested that once it comes out and it's available for you in your own private home to view, I really want to I want to do a follow up and see if your if your opinion has has changed or not because we've all been in restaurants or movies or concerts or whatever where maybe just things didn't line up with the frame of mind and everything else and it just changes it. So that I want to see how much of that was on it. What are your what are your closing thoughts on uh, Tarantino's ninth film? Well, I, I promise you this. I will purchase it. Uh, films like this, I always purchase so that when the day comes, I can rewatch it. Uh, I My film collection contains movies that I don't care for because oftentimes I feel like I learn more from watching those than I do anything else now. And I will follow up with you when I do watch it. And that includes Air Bud? Uh, I told you <laughs> it is a nonstop loop in my house. Um I'll tell you, actually, if you really want to torture me, put on my big fat Greek wedding. Ooh, I think that yes. and, and peel my eyes open as though it's like clockwork orange. Here is the Todd, how to drain Todd of his life fourth movie fest. You start out with uh, my big fat Greek wedding. Then you go to Red October. Oh, <laughs> well, no, that'd actually be great because I'd be asleep. You know, big fat Greek wedding. I got to hear. Oopa. Over and over. Oh my God! What a re- what a stereotype of the Greek population. And Just I, absolute garbage. I love that movie. It is so cute. Oh God! Um, I, you know right. what? I enjoy going to a proctologist more than I enjoy that movie. Whoa! All right, folks. Um, <laughs> all right. So sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to step on your final thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Final thoughts are this. Look, I think that Tarantino is a master. I think that the film has a ton of great elements that touch upon the things that I love. It did not speak to me because I really hoped he was going to make another statement. I did what Art asked you to do. You bring a part of what you think and what you expect, and oftentimes those expectations are stepped on. Mine weren't just stepped on. They were smashed with a sledgehammer, (laughs) and it it was abrasive. It was uncomfortable to watch. I thought unnecessary. I, I hope to go back eventually and say, I like it. There are Tarantino films that I love much more that we can get in sometime. Yeah. And I, it will, it, as of right now, it will not be in the top of my Tarantino picks. So shocked by that. So shocked. So, so shocked by that you said I, that. I'm going to be honest. I really dreaded doing this today because I thought Aww. Jeff has been going on telling me how much you loved it. And I'm not saying anything. I'm going to crush his little heart. <laughs> no, no, this is good. This is why we do it. I mean, if if every movie we, we decided to talk about on this podcast, we both love it would be there wouldn't be any. So I, I hear I hear what you're saying. And, and I love the perspective that you bring because because there are things that I didn't I didn't not, not necessarily think about. And to close out the show, I haven't told you this. I want. I just want to talk about something you and I touched on a little bit in the, in the pre-production, which is I watched Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and we're going to watch the rest of them. Uh, I feel so much closer to you as a friend now. Um, <laughs> they are quirky films. They are uh, just – were they done at the end of Charlton Heston's career? And that's why he's so – Damn you to hell! Oddly, not at the end. Um, I would say mid, because the funny thing about it is, is that he really protested doing uh, science fiction when it first was brought to him, but then he read the property and thought, okay, this is actually pretty interesting. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is fresh. This is new. Now, he, what he did was it changed his career because then he went on to star in things like Soylent Green and Omega Man. Yeah. So he made a lot of science fiction after this. Um I think that's just his choices. If you go watch uh, the Moses thing, I guess it's just Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. Oh, Ten Commandments, yep. Oh, my God. Everything is so deep and important (laughs) when he speaks. It's like, brother. You get a sense of that when he's in the spaceship by himself smoking a cigar in space. Oh, God. Which brings me me to the the little extra uh, frosting on the uh, cupcake for the kind listener. Should you find the time to watch these films, there is a podcast that we brought up a couple times on the show called Minute of the Apes, which Todd and his uh, his co-hosts, and I actually uh, was on a brief episode and can't wait to be invited back, um, but where they do the movie by minute, which for those of you who don't know, they basically take a movie, they watch it at a minute, a minute at a time, and then have a short podcast. Uh, uh, shorter anything any podcast shorter than ours we're running an hour and four minutes right now 
and then they talk about that scene that minute that they watched. And it can be rather laborious, even with Planet of the Apes, um, a film that I absolutely love was probably one of the first things I fell in love with film wise. You go and watch it's such a different approach to filmmaking is today that there were times where at that time it was just Sean and I met one yeah. co-host Sean and the other one Richard. Richard not joined us yet. And there was literally at the first of the film <laughs> five minutes where it was nothing but walking shots in the desert. Yeah. And then when they would talk, it was nothing but stupid fights with one another that have nothing to do with that they're landing on a planet. So it's been excruciating at yeah. points, but it's also been so much fun because we've learned so much about that type of filmmaking. The original Planet of the Apes was groundbreaking for its use of makeup and, and, and stuff like that. It, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. We're, yeah. we're tomorrow. We're launching new episodes of escape from the Planet of the Apes. We, it took a long time to get there, but that is coming out. It's um, I just, it's worth checking out. And I, and again, it was uh, Luke and I had gone to lunch and we were talking about movies and stuff. And I said, you know, I told him, I said, you know, who's a really big Planet of the Apes fan. And he was like, Who? And I said, Todd, he was like, Oh, and I said, you know, blah, 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 blah. So we started to listen to the podcast on the way back mm -hmm. to the house. And you kept talking about space farts. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, we, both of us were like, what is space farts? And so we put on we put on the movie. And, and, and now I know what a space fart is. Am I going to tell the kind listener? No. You need to check out the movie and you need to listen to the podcast to find out what a space fart is. But, uh, but great. was I wrong? Does that no. look like a space fart or what? <laughs> it really does. And it just makes sense because I was just giggling so hard because there is that scene, especially on uh, uh, Beneath, where the guys are marching through the desert and they find that one lone plant, which means life. And what do they do? They dig it up and they just yep. walk off with it. And I'm just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Like the plants, like wait, whoa, 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 hey, hey, <laughs> you know. Well, that's the funny thing about watching a movie minute by minute. Your yeah. mind really does kind of wax over the small minutia, and you're like, oh, it's a moment, and you just move yeah. on. When you watch these minute by minute, you're like, um, did they really just kind of you know fart on camera? Yeah. Whatever they may do, you're like, what is that? <laughs> uh, there's a, a place at the very first of uh, Planet of the Apes where Charlton Heston in a spaceship yep. is smoking a cigar yeah. and when he's done with it he puts he opens a zipper on his spacesuit and puts it inside and we're like did he just put a cigar inside his spacesuit and so you're you know you really notice the detail we, we try to have a little humor when we approach it you know best that's we good can. so we're checking out so thank you for getting uh, the interest going here with uh, Planet of the Apes I'm excited about watching the next one and uh, encourage you guys to do the same and listen to the podcast which is really well done I think that's going to do it for this episode of The Other Kind Radio. This is episode 59, so 60 will be our next show. So we're getting up there, folks. Yeah. Uh, at this time, do you want to remind everybody, we really encourage your feedback, your emails. The email's easy. It's info at theotherkindradio.com. We do have Jeff at and Todd at theotherkindradio.com, but info works well. We're also a little more active on Twitter these days, and I'm trying to get some stuff on Instagram so those uh, those followers and listeners can, can join in. We'd love to hear your feedback on uh, what you thought of, uh, well, of course, the podcast, but at the same time, if you do have a chance to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, check it out. Send us your thoughts. I'd love to hear uh, the moments that you best recognized or, or come to mind immediately as uh, it is a long film, and uh, I'm sure we didn't cover every aspect of it. So I uh, want to encourage everybody to do that. And uh, next week, I think we're going to, I know we previewed we were going to do Apollo this week, but uh, Once Upon a Time took over. So I think we're going to talk about the new documentary, Apollo 11, next week. Todd, any final words from you? You know what? I, even a bad Tarantino is a, is a good movie to go see. So go check it out. If you love it, don't tell me. Let Jeff know. Yeah, even, even, even a bad chocolate chip cookie. Is still a chocolate chip cookie. I like that. I'm going to use that. All right, for myself and Todd, everybody have a great week. Go get some pop culture going, and uh, we'll see you back next Sunday. We are The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio.